Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. We're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 15 through 18. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Fugilists and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesephorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. So the Apostle Paul has spent a large portion of this second letter to Timothy, exhorting Timothy to not be ashamed. To not be ashamed, to not be embarrassed, both of the gospel, but also of of the apostle Paul, who who is imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Here again, our our passage this morning, Paul returns to that theme, and this time he names the names of some men who were embarrassed of him, and it appears of all of Christianity. Imagine your names being written down in the inspired eternal word of God as men who turned away from the Apostle Paul and from the message of the gospel. Imagine that. The the word of God is eternal. And there their names are recorded for all time as those who abandoned the Apostle Paul. Fugilists, and that's how I'm going to say it, because that's closer to the Greek, I think. Um, I agonized over that. Fugilists and Hermogenes are immortalized for doing what the apostle is urging Timothy not to do. Timothy, don't, don't go along in the same path. They are remembered as those who turned away, those who abandoned Paul, were embarrassed of his work, embarrassed of his message and walked away from him, abandoned him and the work, and we assume the very gospel. Uh, This is not not the only mention in this letter of men who abandoned the Apostle Paul. Look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4. Paul writes, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas... Having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And then skip down a a few verses. We hear this sad lament. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. I take that that time that he's speaking of there, the, the first defense... As the first part of the trial, he underwent for his current and final imprisonment, which he's enduring as he's writing this. 
But, but look at that. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. This is Paul at the end of his life. This is Paul at the end of his life, and everybody has, has seemingly everybody or many have turned away from him. So you see his appeal to Timothy is being generated by the frequent and contemporary departures of many people around him. And he's writing to, to Timothy saying, don't go, don't abandon me too. How depressing would that be to have spent your life suffering for the gospel and then being imprisoned, knowing that it's near the end and that, that uh, Nero has it out for the Apostle Paul and everybody around him is, has become embarrassed of him. There are very few things more painful, at least for elders in the church, than to see those you have ministered to and ministered with leave because they're embarrassed by you or embarrassed by your message. But every pastor, every elder endures that. It's a constant part of the work of the gospel. Paul has seen that again and again, that when the heat is on, the true colors of people are shown. When difficulties come, when embarrassment has to be endured because of those difficulties, when the Christian faith and the standard of sound words stands counter to just the common sense of a culture, some will choose the present world over following Jesus Christ. Some will just choose the easy course and not to go upstream. So remember that the Roman Empire... Remember, the Roman Empire was quickly catching on to this rebellious sect of Christians. They would call these people who refused to worship the emperor because they already had a king, right? They would call these people, people traitors and idolaters and cannibals and atheists, right? Traitors, idolaters, atheists, cannibals. Sort of the, word, the dregs of society, isn't it? All those... All those words. Traitors because they would not follow Caesar. Um, idolaters and atheists because they would not worship Caesar. right? And cannibals because they claimed to eat the body and blood of a man in their worship services. So in this context, you might consider that these Roman converts like Fugilists and Hermogenes had to count the cost. Right? They had to count the cost, and counting the cost, they determined that it was too high, at least it was too high to be closely associated with the Apostle Paul, the ringleader of this sect, even if it wasn't the faith they were ultimately turning away from, there was an abandonment of Paul, an apostle of God, the apostle of God to the Gentiles. Right, What he was doing, saying, and, and the circumstances he was in made it more appealing to walk away from him than to suffer shame with him. Think of the time when the apostles were tempted to abandon Jesus. And many disciples did abandon him on that day. Right After teaching that his flesh was true food and his blood was true drink, Here's what the text in John's Gospel says. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? 
Who can listen? I mean, who can, who, I mean, that statement, who can listen to this is like, no, no, no person in their right mind would consider these things truth. Who can listen to this? Right, and skipping forward a bit, here's the result. As a result of this, many of Jesus' disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't, you don't want to go away also, do you? He says to the apostles, those close to him, you want to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so when the teaching was hard, when it cost to follow Jesus, when it made them countercultural, when it made them stand out in some contrast to the norms of the day, many withdrew from Jesus and were not walking with him anymore. Right? They withdrew and stayed away. On the other hand, there are those like Peter, right? He understood that there was nowhere else to go, actually no one else to follow, right? He, he just understood that this was the Holy One of God. There's nowhere else to go. There are those who like Demas, right? At the end of this book that we read about, there are those like Demas who simply love the world more than they love Jesus, Now stop and consider that. That's all he did. He simply loved the world more than he loved Jesus. He loved the things of the world more than he loved the Father. Right? There there are those who love their sin more than they love Jesus. And there are those who simply despise the tension. Right? I, I mean... I feel this tension. There are those who simply despise the tension that they have with their unbelieving family members, so they just abandon the faith. They'd rather have peace at home than than the tension of faith. There are those who find it impossible to live in conflict and so walk away from the faith so that they can have normal friends with normal views on immigration and guns and race, right? It's undoubtedly true, isn't it? In our experience, what the uh, comports with what the apostle says in his letter to the Corinthians, right? Who, the Corinthians, think of the Corinthians. This whole church was embarrassed by the apostle Paul. This whole church struggled with with his teaching, struggled with what it meant to be a follower of Christ. He writes to this church that boasted, you remember, they, they boasted in their progressive views of incest. Right? They're like, you know, boasting about the fact that a, uh, there's incest happening in the church. And he writes this, You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. Right, and he's laying it on thick here, right? You have to read this with the right tone of voice. Paul is nailing the Corinthians. You have already you are already filled, you have become rich, you have become kings without us, and indeed I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death 
Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both the angels and to men, we are fools for Christ's sake, but, but you, you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you, you are strong. You, you are distinguished, but, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless, and we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the drags, dregs of all things, even until now. And so these Corinthians, like Fugilus and Hermogenes and Demas, just couldn't stand being seen as fools by the world. They couldn't stand it. And in the end, those who feel this way do not have a proper understanding of the Christian faith. They do not understand that there is a judgment to come. They don't understand that there's a judgment to come in which all those days we spent worrying about what others thought about us will be suddenly understood to be wasted time and deadly compromise. Right, All those times where we felt that tension between our faith and the world and we were embarrassed by our faith, we'll realize that that was treasonous, Waste of time. Children, I know you struggle with this. Children, I know you struggle with this. You are often more concerned to be respected by your friends, to be seen as cool, than to be faithful to God. Right? That's a struggle. To do that is to take after Demas. He wanted to be cool. And in wanting to that, he abandoned the Apostle Paul and the Christian faith. What a cost, right? What a cost to, to be seen as cool. To just turn your back on God. Um, to gain the whole world, though, and forfeit your soul. Right? Be, be more like Moses. Right? Be more like Moses and less like Demas. Moses understood the cost and also understood the reward for following God. Hebrews 11 again teaches this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be cool. He just refused. That's what Scripture says. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which would have been really cool. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Right? He chose to just be with these numbskull Israelites rather than to be in the house of, of, of Pharaoh. Considering, listen to this, considering the reproach of Christ. What is, it, what is the reproach of Christ? That's everything, every, every time you get called a name for being a Christian. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Insults better than riches. For he, it says, was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. He didn't want his reward now. He was looking to it. 
If you want your reward now, just go and be cool, right? Be fashionable. Um, But if you want an eternal reward, it is something you wait for. It's far better, sons and daughters, it's far better to be reproached, insulted, shunned for following Christ than it is to have a million friends, um, fame, fortune, and good looks. Why? Because you are looking for an eternal reward, not just a temporary reward. Do you want to have the well done of the godless? It's easy. You can get the well done of the godless. Or do you want to hear the well done of God Almighty? Do you want the inauthenticity of being cool, right, and running with the crowd? Or the true authenticity of following Jesus Christ? Will you live to please yourself or will you live to please God? Right? Demas made that choice. Demas made the choice and said, Give me the world, give me money, give me girlfriends, give me pleasure. Give me this world. And when he stood before God after he died, you know what he heard from God? Do you know what Demas heard from God? He didn't hear, well done. He heard, depart from me. I never knew you. Would that Demas and Fugilus and Hermogenes had just suffered on for a few more years? following Christ and following the teachings of the Apostle Paul. Just a few more years. Delaying their pleasure for just a a short few years and then hearing the well done of God Almighty and entering into his eternal courts where there is peace and pleasure forevermore. Following Christ will likely mean you lose much in this life. You will lose much in this life, but please think of the gain. Think of the gain. It is only those who understand the gain and the glory that are willing to give up the lame half-pleasures of this life. Right? It's those who understand the greatness of the reward who will give up the lame, just tasteless half-pleasures of this life. Think about this. Fugilists and Hermogenes and Demas wanted to be respected by men. And now... They're immortalized in the word of God for all time as cowards. Ouch. They wanted the respect of the world, and all the world knows about them now as they're cowards. Now, not everyone departed from Paul, though all in Asia, western Turkey, seemed to have all in that area, Ephesus included in that. Like Peter, who did not abandon Jesus after his hard saying, so there were men like Onesephorus. Not only was he not ashamed of the Apostle Paul, but he did all that he could do to be near to him and to be associated with him at the time where the most shame during his imprisonment would come with being associated with him. Onesephorus had the proper eyes, the proper perspective. He knew that in serving Paul, He was serving Jesus Christ, right, his Savior. And the text says that Onesephorus often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. There's a man, right? There's a man. There's a man who fulfilled this verse from Hebrews. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. 
and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. You know, just remember, prisoners, remember those who are being persecuted. And here's a man who, who fulfilled this verse. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Right? Onesephorus was not ashamed to minister to this servant of the Lord because he knew that in ministering to him, he was loving and serving his Savior. Some choose to cut and run. Others choose to remain loyal. What kind of relationship do you have with the Lord? Right? Is it, is it robust enough that earthly relationships don't impinge upon it? Is it God first and spouse, children, friends, as a result of God first? Right? All those things second. Or is it friends, child, Spouse, family first, and God with the remainder, with what is left over after we've, we've exhausted our capacity to love others. Right? Fugilists and Hermogenes thought it impossible to maintain a relationship with Paul. They couldn't stand the stigma that went along with being tied to him. Onesephorus traveled from Ephesus to Rome, searched for Paul, found him, fed him, refreshed him, not just with food, but merely with his presence. It appears that Onesephorus had a spiritual mind about all of this and put aside worldly considerations, right? He, he had been faithful also, we learn, when Timothy and Paul had worked in Ephesus. And maybe Fugilists and Hermogenes also worked with Paul in Ephesus. Maybe they were elders of the church there, along with Onesephorus. But unlike the other guys, he remained faithful under difficult circumstances. When Paul was treated as a criminal and about to be executed for his faith, Onesephorus was not ashamed to be with this criminal. He was not ashamed to enter that prison and minister to him, not ashamed to travel, uh, to travel from Ephesus to Rome to, to refresh him simply by his presence. He was a true friend. But he was a true friend because he had spiritual eyes and not worldly eyes. If he had worldly eyes, he would have been like the other two. There's some question, it seems, about why Paul says twice something about God showing mercy to Onesephorus' household and his soul on that day, he says. Some commentaries contend that he's died. And so Paul, as he remembers this man's ministry to him, prays for his household. Later in the book, Paul says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, notice they're mentioned by name, and the household of Onesephorus. It doesn't mention Onesephorus, but his household. Um, if this is the case, it would sort of appear that Paul, I mean, if, if Paul there was praying for Onesephorus it would, and he had died, it would appear that he was praying for the dead. And um, he wouldn't do that. So, um, verse 18 says, The Lord granted him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Uh, but that could also be said of the living, right? The Lord granted him to find mercy on that day. We would say of that of anybody living. When, when the Lord returns, may he find mercy. My thought is that he is alive. And the Apostle Paul is just making reference to him being separated from his family for a while. And so 
while he visited. So he's saying, pray for the household of Onesephorus. But again, let's come back around. Remember that the apostle Paul is exhorting Timothy not to be ashamed of him. Right? And he's giving both these positive and negative examples of many who had left him. And we know that at the hard saying of Jesus, many left him. And through our own experience, we know many people or have been one of those people ourselves who have been ashamed of Christianity and the standard of sound words when we were in college or when we took a new job around new coworkers or were the only, you know, the only Christian in the workplace. Or in countless other ways, we've been ashamed of the gospel and wanted to cut and run. To think that the Apostle Paul would have to exhort Timothy. To think that the Apostle Paul would have to exhort Timothy to this when Paul was his father in the faith. When Paul had had met the Lord and then had invested what he learned from the Lord into Timothy directly. Doesn't it seem like Timothy would be the last man to be ashamed of the Apostle Paul? Yet here is Paul. Here's the Apostle Paul who knows the sinfulness of man and his own temptations going after Timothy on that specific topic. If If Timothy were a modern man, he'd get mad at Paul for thinking so little of him. You don't have to tell me not to abandon you. You know, you get offended at Paul. But it's, it's not Paul thinking little of Timothy, but rather Paul thinking big of sin. He's thinking big of sin, of temptation. Paul had seen man after man start well, follow him when things were going well, only to abandon him when he was an embarrassment to be with, right? Or when the cost was... was Uh, too high for the endeavor. Why does Paul care about this? He hasn't finished the course. I mean, he's he's close to finishing his course. He's, He's close to the finish line in his race. And so why does he care about this? He... He's not like Hezekiah. Right? Think of Hezekiah. He's not like Hezekiah who just wanted peace for his own life and didn't care that his sons would be dragged off into exile. Right? Remember Hezekiah says that at the end of his life? And, and he, he says, well, at least there'll be peace in my time. And, and he's just been told that his sons are going to be dragged off into exile. That's horrible. That is horrible. The Apostle Paul is smart enough to know that the work does not begin and end with him. Every generation will need the testimony of the gospel no matter how difficult the circumstances in which they're called to preach it. And that is precisely where the Apostle Paul goes in the verses following this section. Right? Remember that the, the numbers you have in your Bibles are all arbitrarily decided, not by inspiration. The letter just continues on into the second chapter. Paul, Paul knows that if Timothy becomes ashamed and gives in to the world as these other men had, Ad had all in the province of Asia, that a, a major fruit of his work and the work of Christ in the world will be snuffed out. 
This is why we teach our children, not merely that they may come to know and believe, but that so they might carry on the gospel of the, the message of the gospel to others and to their own children. Right? This is the work of the church, isn't it? To plead with people not to go after the world, but to maintain the standard of sound words and to preach the gospel. That's what this whole letter is about. The Apostle Paul desires for future generations to receive the standard of sound words, the gospel, so that they may live eternally in Christ's glorious kingdom. Fugilis Hermogenes Demas. They chose to live for the moment. They chose to live for the moment. They wanted what pleasures they could have right now. The Apostle Paul and Timothy, they chose to live for the future. right? They chose to live for what was coming. That latter choice is both selfless and self-interested. right? It's selfless in that you, it allows you to give treasure to others. right? But it's self-interested in that it's your eternal life. It's your eternal life. It leads to the love and service of others and to eternal life for yourself. Right? So, so here we have this contrast. Those who chose to live for the moment and those who chose to live for the future and to live for the gospel and for God. And the choice is before all of you as well. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that this that our love for God would be so strong that the love and the enticement of the world would be nothing. Oh, but Father, we, we know that our faith ebbs and flows. It comes and goes, and our assurance is up and down, and our love for you is, is at times strong and at times seems to just hang by a thread. And when it's hanging by a thread, those are the times when the enticements of the world so easily entangle us. And so, Father, I pray that you would, you would strengthen our faith, that you would show us a vision of heaven, a vision of the new creation, that we would long, truly long, like, like many of us are even longing for, for food right now, for lunch, that we would long in our hearts and in our minds, to be in your presence, worshiping you eternally. So, Father, shake us loose from this world and give us hope for the life to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.